Awesome. Well, you can be seated. I got a lot to say, so I'm, I'm just going to jump right in if you don't mind. So um, tonight I'm going to share part two of last week's sermon. I wasn't able to finish, and so um, I'm going to share part two of a, of a message called Practice Makes Perfect, okay? And uh, last week, my, my whole sermon in one sentence was a stronger relationship with Jesus a stronger relationship with Jesus is a byproduct of having a strong spiritual community. Okay, now if you weren't here last week or you didn't have a chance to go back and, and listen to it online, please, 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 please go back. For one, this is, this is some of the most important content that we've been sharing. I mean, it's so, so important, okay? And plus, you're going to need it to really get the full picture of tonight's. Tonight's stands alone, but if you will go back and listen to last week, you will get the full picture. Super, super important. It's so key. Listen, I told you that last week, I told you that we need Jesus. Amen. Okay, and we need the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. But the very next most important critical thing that you need in your life, that we need in our lives, is community. Like if you want to grow in your faith, you have to have a solid spiritual community, biblical community. I want to start off tonight by defining community. I didn't do this last week. But let me define, what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you um, how social scientists define community, okay? Social scientists say that community is a perceived connection between a group of people based on overlaps, intent, identity, interest, and experiences. Okay, in other words, when parts of your life overlap with someone else's life, some level of interest, some level of intent, some level of identity, you feel connected to that person or to that group of people. It makes, makes sense, right? That's pretty intuitive. We, we get what that, what that you know, means. When Melissa and I first got married, I was working for, um, I started working for a, um, a burglar alarm company in, here in Tyler. And, uh, and I worked every day with a guy named Carl. Carl and I, he was about eight, nine, maybe 10 years older than me. He was technically my boss. I was the helper. I was the attic rat, if you know what I mean. And he was the one that would tell me where to go, you know, what wire to go chew on, if you know what I mean. And so he and I worked together, I mean, every day for two years. We were really close. Lots of laughs, lots of, of experiences. And uh, one of the things I was thinking about for some reason this week is how um, there was a season where... We would go back to his place at lunch. If we were close enough to his apartment, we would go back to his apartment and say, hey, today we're doing a long lunch. I'm like, you're the boss. <laughs> long lunch sounds good to me. But we would go back to his, um, his apartment and we would watch TV for two hours. <laughs> I'm like, this is the best job ever. <laughs> but here's what's funny. The season that, that we did this, um, we would go back. He would flip back and forth between, between two shows. And one of them was, how many of you remember the O.J. trials? O.J. Simpson? Y'all remember that? I watched most of the O.J. Simpson trials on lunch <laughs> at work. Okay, but he would flip when there was commercials and those kinds of things. He would flip over. How many of you have heard of, Melissa's laughing because she knows. 
How many of you have heard, how many of you have heard of General Hospital? Yeah, this dude was in the General Hospital. I, I didn't know anything about General Hospital, but I, I soon came to find out that there was a lady named Marlena who had like nine lives. She would die and be gone for a while, but then come back, die, come back. The season that we were flipping back and forth between OJ and General Hospital, she just happened to be demon-possessed in the show. It was awesome. And so she, it, it was crazy. I learned a lot. But anyway, and then Carl and I, when we, we, would, we would be wiring houses, and I was always in the 140-degree attic on my belly with the, with the insulation and the heat and trying to find wires, and he's busting on the ceiling. Can't you find the wire? And we would be yelling and screaming, and I would come up, and he was like 6'3", and I'd bow up. What are you doing? We're getting this whole thing. It was not healthy in a lot of ways. <laughs> and yet we were together a lot, and there was plenty of good experiences that we had, okay? But listen, does this sound like someone that I shared spiritual community with? I mean, we were together five days a week, lots of hours, two of those on watching TV, of course. But does that sound like someone that I shared spiritual community with, biblical community with? No. In fact, it was my spiritual community that kept me track on track during those days. Those were the first two years after I'd gotten saved. Thank God I had a good, listen, thank God for Jesus, for the Holy Spirit, and for a solid biblical community. You guys picking up what I'm laying down? Last week I gave you seven signs of a solid spiritual community, like things that we should hope for and look for. Our, our spiritual community should be with people who share our faith, and our vision, and our values. People who, like us, seek and submit to spiritual authority and to um, uh, accountability. People who are sold out to the provision and the protection of others. Please go back and listen. I think you'll be glad that you did. When you find a community like that, with people who share this kind of um, intent and interest and identity, now you have a safe place that you can grow in your faith. You have a safe place to practice and express the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now listen, my, um, my personal and pastoral experiences have taught me that the only way to grow in your faith is to prioritize spiritual, maturity, uh, spiritual community and spiritual maturity. That's what I've learned over 20-something years of of walking with the Lord and being a minister in the body of Christ. You want to grow in your faith, prioritize spiritual community, which may include setting boundaries with those people in your life that are, you know, your unspiritual community. Anybody got any of those? Yeah, it means balancing out your schedule getting things in order, spending more time. Listen, you might be going, okay, Pastor Tony, you, you said that last week. I need to prioritize spiritual community. What does that even mean? Let me tell you what that means. The primary way that we practice and express our faith and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, listen, is when we're together. I, I don't know how else to say it. If I could just stop right there and just say, bottom line, we need to be together. 
together. And that's what I want to show you from the scriptures today, okay? So this is Practice Makes Perfect, part two. Write that down. But I have a different sermon in the sentence tonight, and that's this. The church won't grow unless we gather. The church won't grow unless we gather. Now, when I say church, you got to hear me. I, I'm talking about a people, and I'm talking about people. In other words, a group and then the people that make up that group. Like in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says that though we are many, we are one body. We are one body, but we're made up of many members. Okay, so in Colossians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, both of those places tell us that Christ is the head of the church, which is his body. Okay, so if Christ is the head of the church, the head of the body, then it sounds like the best place to start on this topic is with what's on his mind about it. Right. So look at this is going to be up on the screen. This one, uh, Matthew 16, verse 18. This is a very uh, familiar scene. And so I'm not going to give a whole lot of context right now. But this is when Jesus says, uh, on this rock, I will build my church. And we know it says that the gates of hell will not prevail. But he says, on this rock, I will build my church. I want to look at this and I want to start by defining this word church because it's a very interesting noun for him to choose. That word church in the language that Jesus would have been um, I'm speaking in or, or that this is written in, ecclesia, it just means this, a gathering, listen, a gathering of citizens called out from their home to some public place. An assembly. A lot of times if you look up uh, uh, Ecclesia, and a simple definition, it just means the called out ones. Those who are called out. Again, a gathering of citizens that are called out from their home. Okay, so this is a word, if you think about it, that can be used to describe any public gathering of any group that shares an identity or an intent or an interest. Um, for years, Soma supported a ministry called MJBI. It stands for Messianic Jewish Bible Institute. They have since come under Gateway uh, Church, and now they are the Gateway Center for Israel. The last two years that they existed, I was actually on the executive board. Okay, and so, um, so a couple of times a year, we would come together, and, and the board members lived all over the place, all over the country. But we would come together. We were citizens with a similar interest that were called out of our homes to come together and gather for the purpose of planning and preparing and praying and all those things for the, for the um, um, ministry that we had. And, and when we would get there, the, the first place we would see everybody was in the boardroom. And you got to go find your boardroom, boardroom that you're in. And the way that you find it is you look for the name. And you look for the logo. You look for that identity. And I'd walk in and I'd walk in and I'm in a room full of people that share this interest of the Jew first praying for the peace of Jerusalem. You, you guys see that? A, a called out gathering of citizens that have a common goal. Again, a community with common interest. An assembly. An assembling of people. Okay, so he says, on this rock I will build my church. But notice that he says, build my church. On this rock I will build my church. I will build my ecclesia. Right? The group of called out ones that he's talking about belong to him. I will build my church. They're his. He owns them. Now, a lot of people have a problem with uh, this whole 
Um, we are not our own anymore. That very thought, that in fact, it's a very common thing when ministering to someone who's struggling. You get down to the root of some of the things and they have a hard time letting go of their own life, understanding that they don't belong to themselves anymore. They belong to Jesus. They're like, nobody owns me. <laughs> you guys ever heard that? I'm my own man. <laughs> I do what I want, when I want, how I want. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, you are not your own. That's how he says it. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. In Acts 20, it's a, an encouragement to those who lead and shepherd in the church. And it says, be on guard for yourselves and all of your flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. We're not our own. Amen. In 1 Peter Chapter one, he says, we have not been redeemed with perishable things like gold or silver, but we have been redeemed with the blood of the lamb. These are probably familiar verses and we're familiar with the idea of a redeemer. The Old Testament uses the word redeemer quite a bit. Israel believed that a Messiah would come and redeem them. A Messiah would come back and buy back all those who would cry out to God. Okay, so listen, if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is and you've repented of your sins, you no longer belong to yourself. Are you hearing me? Amen. You belong to Christ. You are a part of his church. Now, you got to see this. Jesus could have just said, um, I will build my people. Or he could have said, I will grow my following. Or I will increase my disciples. He could have used any number of nouns there, but he chose to use the word ecclesia. This is, this is important. I will build my ecclesia. I will build my church. You need to understand that by Jesus using the word church, he's making a statement. He's mandating a practice. My people need to gather. My church will assemble. The many members of my body must come together. <laughs> I want you to look at one more thing here. He says, on this rock, I will build my church. On this rock. Again, I don't have time to build context of this amazing scene in scripture, but I'll just tell you the bottom line is this rock that he's talking about. This rock is what Jesus is calling the revelation that he is the redeemer. Let me say that again. When he says upon this rock, what he's talking about is the revelation that Peter had just gotten. Go back and read it. That he is the redeemer. The ones who belong to the church that he owns and he's building are those who truly believe that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. Amen? Amen. This rock defines what this group is centered around. The common identity, intent, interest, and even desired experience of this ecclesia, his church. The unwavering belief that Jesus is the rock of our salvation. 
<laughs> How many of you have heard Psalm 95? Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout to the rock of our salvation. Yeah, sounds like, sounds like church, <laughs> right? It goes on and says, let us enter his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him in song. Sounds like an assembly, Amen. doesn't it? Okay, so we're going to keep going, but let me recap real quick because I need you to get these little components as we really work ourselves to the end here. Okay, so recap. Everyone who believes in Jesus belongs to Jesus. Amen? Who 100% expects them to assemble. Amen? And by his design, when they do, they will grow. Now, remember we said that a church is... Um, a people, a group, a people, and people, right? One body, one group made up of many members, many individuals. I firmly believe that Jesus means that the church will grow both numerically but also in maturity. Jesus is never just interested in numeric growth. In fact, if he were to prefer one or the other, he'd prefer maturity. Amen? Yes. Let's look at some more scriptures. I'm trying to give you some context here and, and build on some things. Look at Ephesians 4. I'm going to need you to turn there because we've got quite a bit to cover in Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> Excuse me, still have a cough. Still have a cough. Um, Ephesians 4, and we're just starting in verse 1, so as soon as you get there, you'll be able to pick up right where we're at. Paul says, the Apostle Paul's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, and he says, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have received with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love and with all diligence to preserve the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Verse four, he says, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called uh, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Now, to each of us, grace has been given according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Okay, I read that kind of fast, but you're tracking along with me, Ephesians 4. Listen, Paul's clearly writing to those who belong to Jesus. I mean, talk about context, right? Those who are part of his ecclesia. Notice the common identity and interest and intent. One body, one spirit, one hope. These are the things that this community, this ecclesia has in common. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father. Earlier he talks about unity of the spirit. These are things that they share, that identity all the way down to intent. We want unity. All of these things they share. Look what he says next. And it was he, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some to be pastors, and some teachers. Jesus gave, and this may be more information than you want to know, but I think it, it's important to build on where we're going. Jesus gave five very specific roles or, or positions or offices to the church. And of course, those roles are fulfilled by people. Okay, you get that. People fulfill those roles. Every church should have people that are apostolic, that are prophetic, that are evangelistic, that are pastoral, that are able to teach, that are apt to teach. And if you know anything about these positions, you know that they function primarily when there's a gathering, when the church is assembled, right? 
I told you that I was on the board of MJBI, okay? So um, a typical organization is going to have offices. MJBI had a, a president. They had a chairman. They had a, a treasurer. They had a secretary, okay? Now, the secretary in, in this context was someone that took the minutes. They take notes of everything that's said in the minutes, so it's documented, and they can go back and refer to those things, okay? Uh, i got to tell you that, that one year... Nick Lesmeister, one of our overseeing elders and I, he's the, at the time he was the director of uh, MJBI and now he's the director of um, Gateway Center of Israel. Anyway, he and I went to Poland because we were going to work with this existing Assemblies of God school to establish an MJBI, Messianic Jewish Theology program in that school. Lots of details to work out. So we sit down in this room full of about 15 people and, and I had my little, um, I always had my, um, my uh, iPad with a little typing keypad, uh, you know what I'm saying, on it. And Nick turns to me, he says, hey, could you, could you um, just write some of this down? He was in a thick of conversations. He said, could you take some notes on this? I was like, sure, man. And so he starts, and says, I'm just going at it and going at it. And what he didn't realize is that I'm a super fast typer. <laughs> so at the end of the night, we get home. He's like, man, how would you think that meeting went? I, I said, I thought it went pretty good. And, uh, and I said, here, let me text you these notes, and, or forge you these notes. And he opened them up, he was like, Two hours of darn near verbatim <laughs> with the person's name, what they said, next name, what they said. And he's like, oh, my goodness. Can I tell you that at the next MJBI board meeting, I was made secretary. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> I rock, man. And so I was taking my notes. <laughs> it's crazy. But listen, you know, it's funny, and it, but it's true. But listen, my role... As secretary wasn't about my um, it wasn't about my typing ability it was about my ability to bring something valuable to the organization to take those notes that would serve the organization and help us you know develop those schools and establish you know those things that we we oversaw Jesus listen Jesus gave these five positions to the church not so the prophets can walk around like a you know rooster it's not about the prophets. It's about the people. He gave these roles, these offices, these five gifts, really. It's what it says. He gave these to the church. He gave these to the church. He gave these not only to the organization, but to the people. For what? He goes on and he tells us, verse 12, to equip the saints. To equip the saints for the works of ministry and to build up the body of Christ, which we know is on the mind of Christ. Jesus said, I will build my, my church. To equip the saints for the works of ministry and to build up the body of Christ until we all reach to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And listen, as we mature to the full measure of the stature of Christ. Remember, Jesus said that he was going to build his church, right? He said he was going to do it. But listen, not only does he want to see more and more people gather, Jesus wants to see ones that do gather grow in maturity, to grow up in the faith. When we are um, called out of our homes, when we assemble, this is what happens. We practice and we express who we are in Christ and some of the things he's called us to do. Okay, now you got to catch this a little bit. and I, I'm probably putting in more material than I need to, but it really does connect. Look what he says very next. Verse 14, he says, Then, then, like after a lot of practice and a lot of spiritual growth and more and more and more mature, then we will no longer be infants 
tossed about by the waves. I want you to remember that phrase. We will no longer be infants tossed around by the waves and carried around by every wind of teaching and by clever cunning of men and their deceitful schemes. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will all uh, we will in all things grow up into Christ himself, who is the head. From him, the whole body, fitted and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love through the work of each individual part. Okay, y'all look up. Growing up into Christ himself sounds way better than being tossed around by the waves. Are we in agreement? We don't want to be tossed around. No. no, we don't want to waver in our faith. We want to grow stronger. We want to go deeper. We want to stand firmly on that rock of our salvation, right? Okay, really quickly. Did you notice that last, did anything stand out in that last verse, verse 16? Look at it one more time. Look at your Bible. Look at your device. It says, from him, the whole body fitted and held together by every supporting limit, uh, ligament, grows and builds itself up in love through the work of each individual part. Do you realize what, what Paul's saying here? He's saying, you know, basically Jesus is the head of this operation. The Holy Spirit is like his foreman, right? Leading guiding, counseling, making things happen, bringing the power to the peeps, right? But listen, he is saying that we actually build ourselves up through how we act and interact together when we assemble, when we gather. Proverbs 27, 17 says, that's iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. That happens when we're together. You can't have a, you can't have a you know, piece of iron here and a piece of iron over here just standing there looking at each other or sending emails back and forth, watching on Zoom, <laughs> and then get sharpened. I mean, I guess it's possible, but you guys hear what I'm saying. As iron sharpens iron, there is a close proximity. We get better when we gather together. That's what that verse means. Okay, let me show you one more thing in the New Testament. And then I'm going to show you something in the Old Testament. We just heard the Apostle Paul say, then, after a lot of practice and we get more and more and more mature, then we will no longer be infants tossed around by the waves. Remember, I told you to remember that phrase, tossed around by the waves. Okay, Hebrews 10. I want you to turn there because I want you to see this. Very important to be able to find these places in your Bible. I encourage you to bring a real Bible, too. It's, there's something special about that. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 23. Listen to what the writers of Hebrews, which I personally believe is Paul. Um, he says, let us. Everybody say us. us. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us. Everybody say us. us. Let us consider how to stir one another. On to love and godliness. Some of your translations say good deeds, love and good deeds, love and godliness. Okay, who's the us? 
us. Yeah, who's the group being stirred to love and godliness? It's us. It's the church. It's the ecclesia. It's the called out ones who assemble with the same confession of hope, right? That Jesus is our solid rock of salvation. And listen to me. Okay, everybody, you with me? Okay, listen. What is the absolute best way to keep ourselves from being tossed by the waves, from, from wavering in the confession of our hope, from going backwards in our love and good deeds, our love and godliness? What's the best way to keep that from happening? Because that's not what we want, is it? No. What's the best way to keep that from happening? He tells us in the very next verse, by not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near, meaning the day of the Lord, the end times. There it is again. The church won't grow unless we gather. And this wasn't a new concept. It certainly wasn't a new concept for Jesus. It's not a new concept for Paul in Ephesians or in Hebrews. This isn't a new concept. This is a God concept. It goes all the way back to Leviticus 23. I want you to turn there. Excuse me. Leviticus 23. And it starts verse 1 where I'm going to show you. And it's actually up on the screen too. In Leviticus 23, this is where God gives his people, Israel, seven feasts, seven holidays that they had to celebrate. I talked to you guys a little bit about this a couple weeks ago. Leviticus 23, uh, last week actually. Leviticus 23, verses 1 and 2. The Lord spoke again to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, The Lord's appointed times, which you shall proclaim as holy convocations, my appointed times are these. And then it goes on to list the seven feasts of Israel. That's where we find um, the beginning of the seven feasts of Israel there, okay? So look at this. You can see this up on the screen. You can see that I've highlighted a couple of words. One is appointed times. What appointed times means is assembly. It means an assembly. It means a gathering. Your translation may translate it as feast or feasts, the feasts of the Lord. But what the word means is assembly. He's saying my assemblies. Now, earlier we heard him say my church. Well, what is a church? It's a called out group of people who assemble. So Jesus is right on track. God says, my appointed times, my assemblings, my gathering of my people, which you shall proclaim as holy convocations. This is an important word. Why? Because convocation means gather them all. Gather them all. It means Everyone participates. It actually, what it actually means is sacred assembly. This is an assembly that is sacred. It means a lot. Let me back up and say that these appointed times, these feasts, these assemblies, there's seven of them. There's four that happen in the spring. And there's four, uh, three that happen in the fall. Those spring, and I told you that, that the seven feasts of the Lord are a prophetic timeline of God's redemptive plan. And last week I told you that the four spring feasts on this prophetic timeline, Jesus has fulfilled those feasts. And because he has fulfilled, and I can't wait to share this stuff with you here in a couple weeks. 
because he has fulfilled those spring feasts, the four that happened in the spring, there's no reason to believe that he wouldn't fulfill the three that happened in the fall. Are you with me? So he has fulfilled the four spring feasts at his first coming. He will fulfill the three fall feasts at his second coming. That's good, good, good stuff. Now, so God established these times for his followers to gather, okay, and commanded them their holy convocations, gather them all. No one left out. Sacred assembly, right? No man left behind. Why? I want us to look a little deeper at that word convocation because with that word, it holds the idea even as an idiom, but I mean, it was used a lot for this as a dress rehearsal. The idea is this gathering. It's a holy convocation. It, it is a dress rehearsal. It's essential. How many of you would like to go pay, you know, 50 bucks for a ticket to go see a play that the cast never came together to rehearse? That'd be a mess. Well, that's not a holy convocation. That's a holy mess, right? <laughs> like, holy cow. Or you go see a band, your favorite band. The band's back together again, you know? Go see one of those 80s bands that you loved and they broke up because they were all, you know, strung out. But they got back together and you're like, yes! But they hadn't practiced since their gigs in the 80s, you know what I mean? You're like, that was not worth 50 bucks. You guys hear what I'm saying? This is a dress rehearsal. These feasts, these appointed times were meant to be dress Rehearsals. Remember I said that the seven feasts of the Lord are a prophetic timeline of God's redemptive plan for salvation? Listen, because these feasts were prophetic pictures, uh, foreshadowings of how Messiah would come and fulfill the promises of God for Israel, every time they gathered, they were rehearsing. They were rehearsing their future forgiveness. They were rehearsing their future salvation, deliverance. Let me say it this way. Every time they celebrated the four spring feasts, it was a rehearsal for the first coming of Jesus when he came as a suffering servant. They didn't know that. It was prophetic. But God knew that. That's why he said, you got to be there. Every time they celebrated the fall feast, it was a rehearsal. For the second coming of Christ, the end times, when Jesus will come as a conquering king. They didn't know that. But God said, that's why you got to gather. This is a dress rehearsal. And I'm going to be talking about that a little bit more in the weeks to come. Here's what I need you to know tonight. Jesus in Matthew 16 and then Paul there in Ephesians 4 that we looked at. And again, I believe it was Paul writing that in Hebrews 10. In Matthew 16, Ephesians 4, Hebrews 10, just to name a, a few, they all preach the importance of appointed times. They all promote the public gathering of God's people. They all affirm that when the church gathers, it's a holy convocation. It's a sacred assembly. It's what Jesus is saying. I will build my church. 
He didn't have to use the word ecclesia. He's referring all the way back to the appointed times, the idea that there are times when the body of Christ, the people of God, need to come together, gather them all. Everyone participates and not forsake our own assembling together as is the habit of some. Why do we not do that? Why do we not, why do we not forsake the assembling of the saints? Because every time we gather in our spiritual community, with our spiritual community, we're rehearsing. Are you picking up what I'm laying down? Amen. Yes, we're here tonight, and we, this is a rehearsal. This is a dress rehearsal. Isn't that awesome? Yes. For what? You know, uh, Colossians 1, Paul says, this is Paul writing this. Paul really got this subject down, didn't he? He said, we preach to you, admonishing every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, so that we might present every man perfect in Christ. Well, what's the title of his sermon? Practice makes perfect. Did you know that you were showing up to holiness practice tonight? <laughs> Did you know? You forgot your cleats? You forgot your, you know, your stuff? Practice makes perfect. That, now listen, that word perfect can throw you off. It, really what it means is mature. The best definition of that word is complete. We are, tonight we are, we are getting a little more complete. I'm so grateful. Listen, I'm going to give you these three things really quick. When the saints assemble, when the saints assemble, we practice our personal faith. We practice our personal faith. Philippians 4.9 says, the things you have heard and learned and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Think about it. Worship services, small groups, life groups, Bible studies. Listen, even a gathering centered around food and fun are ways that we can learn and receive and practice um, loving one another. Right? And any of the other fruits of the Spirit. Makes me, think of the, <laughs> makes me think of the last time we had a potluck. Last time we had a potluck, I didn't get any of Maria Ruckey's authentic Indian food. Or Inga Painter's authentic Ethiopian food. Because you hogs got in line before me. Listen, that was an opportunity for me to show patience. Self-control, forgiveness, humility, so many things. Even a gathering centered around food and fun is an opportunity to grow in Christ. We practice our personal faith. Every time we get, I, I think you guys get that. Let me show you the second one. When the saints assemble, we practice our part in the body. Though we are many, we are one body. Paul goes on to say that every part of the body has a part. Some seem more glorious than other people's parts. Maybe it seems glorious that I'm up here on stage. Wow, everybody gets to look at you. you know, there's a lot of hours this week of prayer and preparation too. Glorious, all right. Gloriously long hours working on it. It doesn't matter if you are sweeping a floor or preaching a sermon. You have a part to play. And it's glorious. 
because God has put you in that spot. When we come together, we practice our part in the body, what we uniquely bring. First Corinthians 12 says, but to each is given a manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Now he's talking about spiritual gifts. Last week uh, I talked about um, um, participating versus spectating. So many people come to the assembly and they just spectate the whole time. Even though in their bag they've been given all these spiritual gifts and abilities and, and things that they could be participating in. Like tonight, did we participate or did we spectate? We participated. You gathered around people that were needing a dose of joy. And you put your hand on them and your lips prayed a prayer. Maybe you prophesied something. Maybe you had a scripture that came out of your mouth. And that was way before I opened my big mouth. Amen. That can happen every time, whether we, um, whether we specifically call for a time like that or not. It could be in the middle of worship. And you're praying and you just look over and God shows you something about someone. And you just walk over there. And you say, hey, while they're worshiping and it freaks them out. But then you share that word with them. <laughs> I think I just killed somebody. That's not what I was going for. <laughs> but you guys hear what I'm saying? You don't come to spectate. You come to participate. What would happen if, if, if everyone that came in was prayed up and spiritually prepared to give as much as they are ready to receive, to participate in the ministry that happens on this campus or on a life group? Or in a Bible study, what happens is the church grows. Not just numerically, but in maturity. You hear what I'm saying? The church won't grow unless we gather. Okay? You got to get involved. Everyone assembles. Everyone participates. That's the model going all the way back to the Old Testament. All right. I could go on and on and on. Let me just give you this third one. When we come together, we're rehearsing. We're practicing for what? Eternity. We're going to spend a lot of time with spiritual community, doing spiritual stuff when Jesus takes us home, which I personally believe will be soon. Remember what we said, Hebrews 10, 25, do not forsake our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And look what he says. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. I say stuff like this all the time. But if there was ever a season in history where we need this sacred assembly, it's now. It's now. It's now. Now, as we see the day drawing near, these are some of the things I'm going to talk about here in the next few weeks about how the fall feasts point to the second coming of Jesus. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And I think you're going to enjoy it. But the takeaway for now is I want you to be encouraged, inspired, even convicted if necessary, to prioritize spiritual community. To believe Jesus when he says he's building those who are called out from their homes. I know this is a unique time and churches are trying to figure out how to do this. I hear that every day. We're still trying to figure out how to do church. Okay. Here's one thing I know. We can't forsake the gathering of the saints. 
And isn't it interesting that in all the things that are going on, I don't even know how to voice this. It's like that's, like that's being attacked somehow. The assembling of the church. You guys, that is very intentional. A church that gathers is a church that's powerful. The enemy knows that. Let's tear that down. Amen. We don't want to walk backwards. We want to move forward. We want to grow. Amen. Let's stand. I've talked way too long.